this is Scott here uh, with another message recap. This is from the weekend of June 2nd and 3rd, and uh, the message was really heavily discussion-oriented. We had a lot of conversation, a lot of really good conversation, so I don't know how well this is going to translate into podcast form, but I have the notes, I have the capacity to do it, people have asked us to do it, so here goes. Leading up to the uh, to the weekend message, uh, Teresa had asked me to speak on uh, what do we do in our relationships when we are the person who's caused harm. We've done a lot of talk recently about how to respond to those who have harmed us or who have wronged us. And in fact, that's a that's a talking point that we return to a lot. In the world of recovery, there's a lot of abuse, there's a lot of trauma, there's a lot of uh, relationship stuff gone wrong. And as we're trying to recover uh, our lives and, and clean up the mess and the damage of uh, everything that's gone on that's brought us into the recovery world, uh, the, the, I guess there's just a lot of work to do, practically speaking, in real life relationships. And, and we are trying to learn uh, what it means to maintain our faith and our certain way of seeing, even in the context of these of this really, really difficult relationship stuff. So that's kind of where we've been. Um, and the reality is we're not just people who have been wronged. And I mean that on a very personal, individual level. We're not just victims. Uh, even though we may have been victims at times, in our lives of things other people have done to us, and legitimately so, we're also people who've caused harm, every single one of us. And if we don't acknowledge that, then we're unlikely to take account of, uh, we're, we're unlikely to be held accountable for it or to take responsibility for uh, the ways in which we cause harm in relationships. And a huge part of living a recovery lifestyle is not only acknowledging the difficult things that have led us to be in recovery, but also to clean up our side of the street. And I think that that's something that we're really trying to model for others. What does it look like to clean up our side of the street, even as we know and perhaps wish that other people need to clean up their side of the street as it pertains to us. So anyway, I'm kind of rambling, but the point is we were talking about what does it look like and uh, to be a person who has com- caused harm and what does it look like, what's expected of us in our relationships when that's happened. And so um, we looked at, at a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians, which I'm going to read in a second. Part of what's going on in these New Testament letters, nine times out of 10, is two uh, parties unpacking conflict that they've had. So uh, Paul wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament, and so we often refer to him as the author of these things. Um, At least that's the tradition. And so a lot of times what he's doing is sort of writing in the aftermath of conflict or writing in the heat of conflict or something like that, and you see him working out conflict with uh, his community or his communities. And so um, that is, um, that's what's going on here in 2 Corinthians. He had written a letter earlier, which he's going to reference in in the first verse I'm going to read, to hold people accountable to uh, some harm that they had caused. So what we see here, practically speaking, is two parties have had a disagreement, harm has been caused, and one person has held uh, this group accountable for it, and we're kind of looking at the aftermath of that. So what happened um, after he held them accountable for their actions? And and we're going to see here. Uh, So I'm going to read these verses. Even though my letter hurt you, I don't regret it. Well, I did regret it just a bit because I see that that letter made you sad, though only for a short time. Now I'm glad, not because you were sad, but because you were made sad enough to change your hearts and lives. You felt godly sadness so that no one was harmed by us in any way. 
Godly sadness produces a changed heart and life that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets, but sorrow under the influence of the world produces death. These verses came from 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10. Now, I want to address his first statement here first, which is, even though my letter hurt you, I don't regret it. And what that may sound like to us is just sort of like wanton disregard for... Uh, harm perhaps he himself caused. Now the, the word hurt there is a difficult one to translate and it's actually the same word used for sadness uh, throughout the rest of these words. So it's not like even though my letter physically hurt you or even mentally or spiritually or emotionally hurt you, it's like even though my letter grieved you, brought you grief, or brought you sadness, I don't regret it. Uh, he's not saying he doesn't care that the letter hurt. He is saying essentially that the letter brought them grief because they saw the reality of who they were and what they had done. They had caused harm, and his attempt at accountability uh, woke them up to the truth of that. And so, in other words, um, they perhaps had done something unknowingly, and it was brought to their attention. And when they realized that what they had done had caused harm, they were grieved. And so, for that reason, he doesn't regret holding them accountable because the accountability itself has inspired them uh, to live differently as a result. And this is sort of, in my mind, the best, uh, most optimistic version of uh, a conversation where one person is holding another person or persons accountable, which is a harm has, has, has happened. And that's a difficult thing and it's lamentable and we wish it didn't happen, but it happens in all of our relationships. And so the best case scenario for that is you go to that person, you say the harm was caused, and this was the harm. And their response is, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I wish that hadn't happened. And then they change as a result. So that's sort of the situation that's being described here. And that's really beautiful. At the same time, it, it, it can be frustrating to read about situations that go so well when our relationships often aren't quite that easy. So one of the things that I want to bring up uh, in addition is the fact that being held accountable, when we are people who have caused harm, being held accountable at its best grieves us, right? It's something that makes us uh, sad. It, 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 it causes us to feel some kind of introspective negative emotion as we realize that we've harmed somebody without proper cause, if that makes sense. And so uh, in, in that best case scenario, we are grieved and then we are inspired to, ch to change. Uh, now, I know that, that when it comes to me and, and my own stuff and, and um, the ways in which I hurt other people, I'm much more likely to become defensive. I don't normally go straight to the point of being grieved about what I've done and then trying to compensate for that, as was described in these verses. Instead, I become defensive, I deny the offense, or I find a way to blame shift. Yes, I did that thing, but the reason I did that thing is because these other people did this thing to me, and I couldn't help but do this thing, so it's really not my fault. Perhaps I'm not the only person that does that. Or, I mean, another thing that I do that, that looks better, but in reality isn't, is I will acknowledge that I did something that caused harm, and then I won't go the extra step of uh, not only saying I'm sorry, but making an amends. And so a lot of times you can get off the hook doing that. You can say, you know what, you're right. I did do what you're saying. And then just the acknowledgement makes people feel better about the situation. But then I internally know the reality is not only should I admit that I did this, but I should take full ownership of it and go the extra step of making the amends and truly, uh, you know, giving kind of a true sincere apology and then making an amends, trying to compensate and make it right. And I often get lazy and skip out on those other two things simply because I don't feel like doing it. And I can get off the hook that way. But I know... 
uh, if I'm being honest, that's no way to live and that's no way to treat people. We shouldn't be looking uh, for every possible loophole uh, to get out of taking responsibility for who we are and what we've done. And that's something that I do. And so I guess to, to finish this thought about grief, th- there are multiple kinds of hurt uh, and there are multiple kinds of grief. But when it comes to being held accountable and being a person who needs to be held accountable, there is a kind of grief that is productive. It helps us see the reality of ourselves and motivates us to take ownership of our wrongs. One of the things that I get to do about my job that I really love is I get to mediate conflict. So there was a situation sometime within the last year where I uh, had to mediate conflict between two people. And uh, the first person I talked to in this situation was the person who was wronged. And that person told me, uh, essentially, look, what this other person did hurt me in a major way. And I can tell you honestly what the wrongdoer did in this situation was pretty bad. But the person who was harmed said, look, no matter how bad this was, if this person will simply acknowledge what they've done, then I'm perfectly willing to forgive this, let it go, and move on. We may not be in close relationship with each other. We may not be best friends. Uh, I'm going to need some space, but this doesn't have to be a major thing that, that sort of destroys the community around us. And I thought that was such a beautiful way of approaching this. Now, the, the problem was that the other person refused to acknowledge what they've done. They went into full-on denial mode. And that just made things so difficult. So I, I tell the story as a way of saying that inside the community, when we have conflict inside the community, and we are thinking our, of ourselves as a wrongdoer, being willing to be held accountable and acknowledging the harm done goes such a long way. And I think that, um, uh, you know, that's another one of those things that I see uh, coming out of these verses as well, is that these were people who were willing to acknowledge the harm done, and that really can can take you a long way towards uh, resolving conflict. And so I think that's one of those things that we are responsible for as people who have caused harm. We are responsible to see, uh, to be willing to look at ourselves and be willing to look at the harm that we've caused and say that that is what it is. I caused this harm. This was real. This is true. This happened. That is one of the things we are responsible for as people who cause harm. Now, um, there's always this lingering question of what are we responsible for as we look outside of the community? I mean, sure, we talk about our certain way of seeing all of the time, and we talk about what it looks like to be in relationship with people who share our certain way of seeing and who are in our community, and we can have expectations, and we have safety, and we have trust, and accountability is a real thing. But what happens outside of the community? I mean, that's a really difficult question to answer. And so I'm going to start with a principle. The principle to follow, I think, as best we can, is to demonstrate to others our certain way of seeing without demanding that they to live by it. We try to demonstrate our certain way of seeing to others without demanding that they live by it as well. It's their choice what way of seeing and living is is going to be their guiding framework, right? We cannot control that. But we are always responsible for displaying our certain way of seeing, uh, even if the person that we are demonstrating that to doesn't share it. So when we've wronged someone outside of the hut, that someone may be unsafe. Uh, They may not share our our value for conflict resolution. And it's unlikely uh, in many cases that they will respond well to the harm we've caused. They may instantly try to retaliate or attack us, right? Like if you've caused harm to somebody who's not 
really a safe person in general, and then you go and try to make it right, they may try to up the level of conflict in their relationship. It's unlikely that an unsafe person will have a productive, crucial conversation with us. It may uh, actually end up feeling like we go to make things right and then they attack us uh, and sort of double down on the difficulty that is present in that relationship. And I would suggest that our work in those moments is to avoid uh, retaliating because you're going to always be tempted to get into this cycle of they're retaliating against you, you retaliate back, they retaliate back, you retaliate back. Our work in such moments is to avoid retaliating and to ask the question, how can I make this right? Now, they may not even respond well to that question. They may not have a good answer to that question. They may not really even want you to make it right. But what you're doing by avoiding retaliating and asking this question, how can I make this right, is you're showing them that you are, uh, whether or not they see it as as, as such, what you're showing them in those moments is that you're dedicated to truly resolving the conflict and not making things worse. Because if we continue to retaliate and fight and, and, and get caught in these cycles, we're inevitably going to be making things worse. And so our job is to show them that our ultimate goal in all of our relationships is resolution and restoration, taking ownership over wrongdoing and cleaning up our side of the street. And we can do that simply by refusing to enter into more conflict and instead asking a simple question, how can I make this right? I hear what you're saying. I hear that you're hurt. I understand why you're hurt because I caused harm. How can I make this right? And if they don't have a good answer, move about your business. That's okay. What we're shooting for in uh, relationships in community, ultimately, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, is ownership, not perfection. Radical ownership means that sometimes we submit to someone's requests of us, even though those things may not make sense to us at the time. We may not always have the benefit of the doubt in relationship. We may have broken trust. We may have caused harm. And because of this, we can sometimes be uh, held accountable for things we didn't actually do, right? Like sometimes people think we've done something that we haven't actually done. And then they bring that up, you know, if they trust us and it's an otherwise safe relationship or has been in the past um, and try to hold us accountable. And if we've broken trust in that relationship, we may not have the benefit of the doubt. And part of radical ownership in in my mind means that we learn to accept living within those confines. If we have broken trust at some point in the past and we've lost the benefit of the doubt, uh, then part of making amends means that sometimes we have to submit to somebody's requests of us to be held accountable for things that we don't think we should be held accountable for, and that's part of making amends for the prior offense. Uh, It's not about telling a lie or or living inauthentically because we are uh, choosing to be held accountable for something we didn't do. It's saying, no, I've lost trust. I've lost the benefit of the doubt because of something I've done in the past. And my way of making amends means that if somebody is asking something of me that is relatively reasonable in the grand scheme of things and seems to be directly a product of that lost trust and not some other thing, then I am going to swallow my pride and accept living within the confines of not having the benefit of the doubt. And so that's one of the things that that I want to leave us with is that sometimes in life we are not going to have the benefit of the doubt. And rather than fighting against that and becoming defensive, we accept the fact that we don't have the benefit of the doubt because of what we've done and that ultimately that's our fault and we become willing to make amends even within those confines. So in summary, I guess what I'm saying is as people who have likely caused harm and will likely cause harm again, the key expectations for us are to be willing to be held accountable, to refuse denial, to be willing to make amends, and then to actually make the amends when 
necessary. Just like the 12-step teaches all of these things and they teach us them in the proper order, uh, we're learning to refuse the denial about ourselves and to take uh, responsibility for what we've done as it happens and um, in so doing to fulfill our certain way of seeing. So I hope this is helpful in some way. Um, I look forward to having future conversations uh, about this. And if you have uh, thoughts or questions or follow-ups, please uh, feel free to send me an email, scott at northstarcommunity.com, or um, get in touch via Facebook or something else. Uh, I always looking, look forward to carrying the conversation forward. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. North Star Community can be found on the web at www.northstarcommunity.com. Royalty-free music today was provided courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions, which can be found on the web at sessions.blue.